Welcome to the Tin Lounge. You've stumbled on one of our short episodes called The Bunny Bar, where we discuss a current relevant topic pertaining to the travel industry. I'm Teresa, owner of Get Out Custom Travels and creator of Fan With Intention. And I'm Corrine, creator of Travel Biz Boss and co-owner of Journey's Travel Company. We won't let you leave without some headlines, so stay with us until the end for excess baggage. So Teresa and I were just having a conversation before we got started about... It's really strange this time of year leading up to an election, how you might see your business slow down. So on my team, my business partner is actually cranking. She's swamped. She can't breathe. But most of the rest of the team has slowed down a little bit. And Teresa was saying she thought that was just fall. Um, So be interested to hear how you guys are feeling right now. I've been doing this for 15 years, so I always notice that leading up to an election like this, midterms or presidential election, there will usually be a little bit of a lull when people are feeling really uncertain. And I think with the economy having been through some ups and downs seems to be on the upswing. So personally, I'm steady, um, but a little slower than I was over the summer. How about you, Teresa? So I am just now starting to come back from the break that I gave myself. Like I was Mm -hmm. not pushing for any new clients. I was not doing active marketing. I just was not, I was just like, I, you know, you guys know I've talked about it. Like I was just like, I'm just done. I just need some time to just give myself permission to relax. Um, So I'm just now coming back into the swing of things and I'm getting a pretty good number of inquiries, not the same as, wave season, but more than it was for the past couple of months when I was just taking, uh, taking it a bit easier. But I always thought this time of year was slower in terms of booking because people have come back from their summer vacations, kids are in school, and it's right before the holidays and right before the whole like wave season begins. So I, I always thought this time of year was more of the quote unquote slower booking season. But yeah, let us know. Like, I, I'm i curious as well. Yeah, I think it can be. The interesting thing for me is I noticed, you know, when I first started in the industry, wave season was so significant. I mean, I did mm-hmm. so much of my business for the year between the beginning of January and the end of March that it was crazy. I did not sleep hardly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have noticed over the years that has really smoothed out. I don't really see a strong surge in wave season anymore over and above the rest of the year. So I do think maybe this does slow down a bit, but I just want to make sure all the advisors out there, if you're worried, don't be. This is perhaps a tiny bit slower than usual. And we're leading up to this midterm election. People are feeling a little bit uncertain right now. It is perfectly normal. You are going to get slammed again very soon. So my advice is always take advantage of a little bit of a slower time. Really enjoy yourself, get caught up on some things, don't spend it worrying. Some excellent tips from a seasoned veteran. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we jump into our discussion this week, we want to give a shout out to our podcast network, Trav Market Media. Head on over to travmarketmedia.com where you can find other amazing podcasts to grow and build your business. So it looks like the DOT is uh, continuing to create resources for consumers. And our first article is from Travel Age West. And the title is, what are your rights during a flight delay or cancellation? And we've known that 
European law regarding air delays, cancellations, etc., are way more stringent, but with bet- it's more beneficial towards the consumer. But in the US, we're just like, what's going on? Like, do, do yeah. I get a refund? Like, what are my rights here? But uh, Pete Buttigieg is not messing around. Yeah. <laughs> there are some peaks and valleys with the DOT because on one hand, they're like, oh, yeah, agencies are responsible for refunding uh, flights. But on the other hand, they're providing this resource that really helps the consumer. So on September 1st, the U.S. DOT published a new airline customer service dashboard. And it is linked in this article that we are using for, um, you know, this headline, but you guys can access this article in the show notes per usual. If you guys want to head to the dashboard yourself, just to check it out. But this dashboard, it details the services and amenities each U.S. airline provides to travelers when the cause of a cancellation or delay was due to circumstances within the airline's control. So this is not applied to weather-related events. This is not applied to anything that is not within the airline's control. So mechanical issues within their control. Thunderstorm, not within their control. So according to Pete Buttigieg, uh, passengers deserve transparency and clarity on what to expect from an airline when there is a cancellation or disruption. This dashboard collects that information in one place so travelers can easily understand their rights compare airline practices, and make informed decisions. The department will continue to support passengers and to hold airlines responsible for adhering to their customer obligations. Yep. And I thought it was interesting. The article kind of breaks down which airlines are committing to all of the policies. But the nice thing is, I don't know if this will affect people. People get really funny about air and it's like, I just want the cheapest and I don't care about anything else. Mm -hmm. But now if people can see what the policies are, maybe they've had enough scares over the last couple of years that they're going to put their business with the airlines that are really offering the best policies. So uh, when a flight is canceled, the carriers that promise every commitment to travelers include American, Delta, Hawaiian, JetBlue and United. But if you look at the dashboard, you can see there are some commitments not included by Alaska, Frontier, Southwest, and Spirit. So the commitments include, if during a flight cancellation, rebooking a passenger on the same airline at no additional cost, rebooking a passenger on another airline at no additional cost, providing a meal or meal cash voucher when the cancellation results in passenger waiting three hours or more for a new flight, providing complimentary hotel accommodations for any passenger affected by an overnight cancellation and providing complimentary ground transportation to and from a hotel for any passenger affected by an overnight cancellation. I think what's interesting, they do point out that Allegiant Air is the only airline operating in the U.S. that offers travelers no customer service commitments during a controllable flight delay or cancellation. (laughs) But it's just so cheap. People are like, they. Just, they I feel like they see the dollar sign or the dollar amount, and they're like, yes, this is the best, best choice. But they don't think about what if something were to happen. And the number of times I see people on my social media feed complain about 
their canceled flight on Allegiant or whatever complaints they have about Allegiant and they tag the airline as if that's going to do anything, guys, they don't care. And so when I see that, I have zero compassion. I'm like, you knew what you were getting into. Yeah. It's not what you start out spending. It's what you end up spending that matters. (laughs) Right. Yeah. The overall value of that ticket. Um, There are different rights when a flight is delayed. And it says the carriers that promise every commitment to travelers during a flight delay include American Airlines, Delta, JetBlue, and United. And there are some commitments that are not included by those uh, by Alaska, Frontier, Hawaiian, Southwest, and Spirit. During a flight delay, commitments include rebooking a passenger on the same airline at no additional cost for significant delays, rebooking a passenger on another airline at no additional cost for significant delays, meal vouchers for three hours or more. Actually, these are the same. They're mostly the same. There's like a little bit of nuances. Yeah. Then they say um, the new dashboard is a part of a greater commitment on behalf of the DOT to make airlines more transparent about their policies and to protect consumers and their rights. Ahead of the creation of this dashboard, most airlines greatly improved their customer service policies. So just the fact that they were putting this together uh, made these airlines get it together. So prior to the dashboard, for example, no airline unconditionally guaranteed meal vouchers or or hotels, whereas now nine of the 10 airlines guarantee meals and eight of the 10 guarantee hotel accommodations. After a summer of full flight issues, this small step is a hopeful one in the right direction. Just the fact that they were creating this guide forced these airlines to step up, which is fabulous. I feel like it should have been part of the package with their bailout money. It's just like, hey, if you want this money, you need to do X, Y, Z. Like these are the things that you need to have. So glad we're heading in the right direction. So what are travelers rights regarding refunds for flights that are canceled or delayed? According to the DOT, if a passenger does not choose to accept the alternative provided by the airline, airlines are required to provide a prompt refund to a ticketed passenger, including those with non-refundable tickets. Consumers are entitled to refunds for a host of other reasons, including a class of service change. Um, For example, travelers should be refunded for the fare difference if booked on first class, but then downgraded to economy due to an involuntary situation. And if the airline isn't issuing a refund, travelers can file a complaint with the DOT. It's linked in this article as well. Um, What else is the DOT doing to expand consumer rights? It would... It's currently collecting comments on a proposed rule that would require airlines to proactively inform passengers that they have a right to receive a refund when a flight is canceled or significantly changed, define a significant change and cancellation that would entitle a consumer to a refund, require airlines to provide non-expiring vouchers or travel credits when people can't travel because they have COVID or other communicable diseases, and require airlines that receive significant government assistance related to a pandemic to issue refunds instead of non-expiring travel credits or vouchers when passengers are unable or advised not to travel because of a serious communicable disease. Yep. The nice thing is, you know, when all this started, there was nothing to compare. There was no historical event that even came close to help them develop these policies on the fly. So it looks like the DOT is making sure that they're getting all of that arranged now so that if another huge catastrophic event, God forbid, were to happen, there are some precedents in place. 
Yeah, I'm, I was going to quote Lizzo. It's about damn time. In a minute. DOC dashboard to tell me my rights. <laughs> Our next article is short and sweet from Travel Agent Central. It's got a bunch of statistics. It's global adventure travel to quadruple growth by 2032. A recently published study by Future Market Insights expects the global adventure tourism market to expand at a 16% compound annual growth rate over the next decade. By the end of the period, a valuation of $1,484 billion is expected for the market. Adventure tourism is gaining traction due to, among other reasons, increasing inclination towards exploring exploring newer places and affordable flights, both domestically and internationally. And another key driver in that market is the increasing demand for an authentic and individualized travel experience. Travel advisors can take advantage of the growing number of travelers who are interested in this segment, as well as their desire for customized experiences. Uh, some of the activities under adventure tourism include scuba diving, rafting, trekking, cycling, and caving to so anything else immersed in the natural environment, as well as cultural immersion. That's interesting. Like cultural immersion is considered adventure tourism um, due to its adaptability, um, ability to support economies and promotion of sustainable practices. Adventure tourism is becoming more popular than traditional mass tourism across the globe. I was going to say that um, some, some of the things that I just try to eat here in Mexico, I would consider adventure tourism. <laughs> <laughs> That's culinary tourism, culinary. <laughs> but the sustainability part is a continuing trend that we're seeing in like a lot of the articles that we've been reading because we do pour through a lot of different articles as we're mm -hmm. doing research for our episodes and sustainability keeps on coming back. And uh, I want to share that the country that really got me into the travel industry that, that really planted the seed for me to want to be in the travel industry, it was New Zealand. And I did solo adventure travel on my own. I mean, obviously solo, like in New Zealand. And that experience was so life-changing that I decided to make a life change. So this is something that a lot of folks are experiencing, I think, right now. And I think it was furthered by the pandemic where people really wanted to just get out into nature Hello. and yeah, and do things that are not crowded, not a lot of other people do it. And it it cites here or references here to quote unquote soft adventure, which is where I am yeah. in this time mm -hmm. of my life is soft adventure. It has a low risk level and they they mentioned uh, this kind of travel has become popular among adventure enthusiasts and quote unquote grazers. <laughs> yeah, I'm an adventure grazer. Yeah, it says for the same reason, it also caters well to older travelers still seeking adventures. Overall, the category makes up for 60% of the entire adventure tourism market currently. And it says that this type of adventure, the soft adventure, is the most pursued. When you book your trips, um, like if you have FITs, do you find that you're putting in a lot of self-adventure activities in there? Well, I've really backed off FITs, but I don't think so. I think because I was so often doing like Italy, people already had all the places they wanted to hit for the most part. Mm -hmm. I did do a 
South America trip once where the family was going to stay in one of those um, clear tent things that hangs off the side of a cliff. They ended up having Mm -hmm. to cancel due to a family emergency. So I didn't get any feedback on that. But I would say my clientele is more like the family traveler travel. Mm -hmm. Like we want to see these sites. I've been recently trying to push people even for the basic trips that I'm booking to at least try more authentic dining experiences and food tours, like do a little more cultural exploration, but Mm -hmm. I don't think I get much. What about you? I think it's very country dependent. I would say most, if not all of my Costa Rica trips are soft adventure just because of the nature of the country, Iceland as well, just the nature of Iceland. It's just like, that's just what you do. But I think in other Western European countries like France, Ireland, my clients tend to be more on the younger side. I call them busy professionals. So they range from, you know, millennials to Gen X and maybe early younger baby boomers. And so they're still pretty active. They want to do hikes and things like that. So I do input some here and there, and most of them do tend to be culturally minded too. So I would say more often than not, my trips are soft adventure, which is something that I'm I like. kind of a liar too. Well, the bulk of my trips are cruises, but I, I've done quite a bit of Belize and Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there's, there is some soft adventure in there, but for the I think it's really people, fine. Not as much. Yeah. Unless they go on the bumper cars on the NCL ship or something. I mean, I would also even go as far as to say that the bike tours offered by river cruises might be soft adventure. Yes. Yep. So and that's enough for me. Tours as well. So that's yeah. soft adventure, I would say. Our last article is from Travel Weekly, and this is about defying cruise categorization. So originally, this article states that there were three cruise line categories mass market, premium, and luxury, and they have spilled into a confusing slew of terms, yet advisors' primary concern is still pairing customers with the right cruise experience, whatever it's called. And I think we've seen this, and as someone who is not, I don't book a ton of cruises, but then, you know, learning from our BDMs about the product, you get things like barefoot luxury, or it's like, you know, we're premium, not luxury, or we're luxury, but then not the same as this one other cruise line. So it could be a huge jumbled mess in terms of definitions. Yeah. Uh, Way back in the olden days, when I learned how to sell cruises, it was those three mass market, premium luxury. But over the years that those lines are so blurred, there's, there's just no way to, I don't think you could make simple categories like that anymore. Everyone's doing more. They're adding more luxurious touches. They're adding more inclusions. They are finding ways to distinguish themselves. Um, Way down in this article, Vicki Fried from Royal Caribbean talks about how she doesn't feel like Royal Caribbean should be lumped in with Carnival and Norwegian. And I agree. Mm -hmm. It's really like to me a step above those two, but it's not premium either. It's not princess celebrity or Holland or something like that, but 
it does appeal to premium customers. I have so many clients that do just Royal Caribbean and celebrity interchangeably, depending on the itinerary, because the level of service is similar. There are, you know, to me, celebrity is preferable because I want to be in a more adult oriented atmosphere than lots of kids screaming and splashing in the pool. But in terms of food and service and all that stuff, there are, there are some similarities. So it, it, I don't think you could make definite buckets anymore because too much crossover. And I think even within cruise lines themselves with their number of ships, yeah. even like, you know, just take Norwegian, for example, like their oldest ship, smallest ship versus, you know, the new is the newest one, the, the Encore, like Prima. Or the Prima that we're the Prima that we're going on huge difference between the two. And so how can you put Norwegian into one category and even on one ship, their lowest category rooms and their highest category rooms? Well, yeah, the Haven on Norwegian is not comparable to the rest of the ship. No, not at all. Same thing with Carnival. Putting somebody on the Mardi Gras and putting somebody Mm -hmm. on the Elation is just an entirely (laughs) different experience. It is not in the same universe. Mm-hmm. So that is an interesting point to bring up as well. So in this article, they talk about the history of these three terms that have been used in the past. So mass market cruise lines, what the industry now refers to as contemporary have traditionally been more family oriented, but would also draw the spring break crowd. They were very Caribbean centric and price driven. Premium ships had fewer passengers, went to more places, and commanded higher rates. The small cadre of luxury lines offered even smaller ships, white glove service, and much more inclusions at hefty prices. We have things like maybe, I'm just thinking about the scene in Titanic, where it's like super luxe, where you have like... The haven versus steerage. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And how some ships today... They are still traditionally luxury in that sense. Like they have formal nights where you are wearing a tux, you are wearing, you know, ball gowns, things like that. But then you have other quote unquote luxury lines where it's like, hey, you wear nice clothes to dinner. We're not going to have you wear a tux. Like you don't have to wear a jacket to dinner. You know, I highly highly encourage you guys to just read this article too. Like go to the show notes and read through because there are really great details and really great quotes from the execs of the major cruise lines on here. Yeah. I liked that. Oh, where did I, I just, I just scrolled so fast. Someone said it's now like a rainbow of categories, which I would agree. It's like a spectrum, (laughs) a continuum, I would say. And it's no easy task to match people to the right line and ship without a lot of knowledge under your belt. So this article is a great way to sort of help you start to differentiate. I've had so many of advisors that I talk to on a regular basis that book these really complicated FIT trips with tons of components. And they're like, "Ugh, I hate cruises. It's so hard to learn, whatever. Meanwhile, I'm like, I can book a cruise in under four minutes with my eyes closed. I know exactly where people need to go because I've been doing it for 15 years and Mm -hmm. I don't like doing FITs because I don't want to deal with all the different components and chasing down all these little details. 
it just depends on the person and the experience, but what some, what some things seem difficult or unworth it or not worth it to one advisor, another advisor is going to click and see all of the finer nuances. No problem. I think though, reading this article does make your eyes cross a little. <laughs> and this is another time where you can maybe let your clients know like, Hey, this is, you know, of course you can book a cruise on your own directly with the cruise line, but there are so many options out there, not just the number of cruise lines, but in the number of ships, destinations, room types. And we're here to help you figure out what is the best fit for you. Because if you go to the celebrity cruise website, they're just going to tell you about celebrity cruises, but there might be another line that is the better fit for what you're looking for. So I feel like when I first got into the industry, I knew nothing about cruises. And when I saw the number of options for cruises, I'm like, oh my God, how am I ever going to figure this out? And it's true now all the categories are being blurred. Just thinking about Azamara that we were on mm-hmm. you know, last month, where does that fall? Because I wouldn't say it's luxury. No, I wouldn't say... Yeah, I like what would it be? And so in this article, it says here, Kara Cabezas, the president of the brand, she says it doesn't fit into any of the traditional categories. We've always called ourselves up market. We don't consider ourselves, quote, luxury because those are typically smaller ships and possibly a full suite experience. Um, for guests who may not be able to pay for a more luxurious experience, as ships have the option of balcony, window, or inside cabins. And she says, we think that we're able to speak to a broader audience that isn't necessarily that luxury audience. And you do have to be really careful with matching people to luxury Mm -hmm. brands. Something that was, uh, I want to go into what advisors say here. Agents largely said the categories used to describe cruises aren't useful anymore. And Sabine Harris, owner of Southern Girls Travel in Tampa, said it doesn't mean a hill of beans to my clients. I just hear this terminology from the cruise industry. When my clients call me, they don't tell me they want to go on an ultra luxury or ultra luxury line. The clients generally don't know which is which. And so I often will find like I've got a family and they want luxury. And maybe they ask for something like a seaborne, and I have to say, okay, but what do your kids need in order to be entertained? Because this is a luxury luxury line. It's not going to have go-karts and teen club and all of those things. So when you're matching a client to a luxury line, you need to know how, I don't know why I can't say luxury today. <laughs> you need to know how luxurious, <laughs> like what does luxury mean to them? Because it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And sure, I would love to sell you the most expensive cruise I can, but we need to make sure that what they have available on the ship and in the itinerary is what you're looking for. You can't just make assumptions about what it is people say when they say, I want a luxury cruise. To me, luxury is smaller ship, fewer people, really great, authentic, immersive itinerary. Uh, To me, I don't care about crystal on the table. That's not what luxury means to me. I equate it more with freedom and opportunity. I basically equate it with like, can I get what I want? Like right now, can someone do it for me? And is the food... (laughs) really good. Yeah. And 
I will say I do love a good marble bathroom. Not like the brown marble, but like the white and gray marble. I don't know. That really speaks to me. But that's, that's the extent. But I don't need anything. Like sometimes I feel like the luxury and ultra luxury might feel stuffy. And I feel like I can't touch anything. Like I never want to be in that situation. I want to be able to enjoy the vacation without worrying that I'm doing something wrong. Yep. Like etiquette wise, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm such a big fan of Uniworld. It is fancy. Uh, I don't find it stuffy. I haven't been on every ship and they're different. It's almost like so over the top that it's a little bit edgy. Nobody gets dressed up to go to dinner. Everything's super casual and easygoing. Everything's really comfortable, but you're just in this beautiful atmosphere. And I, I love the elevated toiletries and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I think service level, when they can anticipate my needs yes. Yes. and I don't even need to ask, like the, the people who come and clean their rooms, they'd like notice what it is, like what my habits are. And they're like, oh, this is what she might need to make her time better. So an example is like when I was at this really nice hotel um, on a Dubai fam, I had a washcloth that I was using um, in the shower. And then the next time I came back in, they had like a loofah in there for me, a brand new mm. loofah. So I didn't have to use a washcloth. I'm just like, oh, I didn't even know this was a <laughs> this was an option, but I didn't even ask for it. All of these things tell you that you really have to qualify what your client means if they say, I want a luxury cruise, because they might just mm -hmm. want a premium or an upper premium cruise, and you don't want to send them a $40,000 Regent cruise. Right, right. Uh, I really like uh, Sabine Harris's quote here. Uh, when she was the one who talked about how these terms mean nothing to her clients. Um, mm -hmm. So when she talks to her clients about brands, she describes them with companies that they can relate to. Some cruise lines are like Walmart, while others are like Target or Nordstrom. And she'll tell them, I don't see you at a Walmart unless it's a new one. So that's another way of connecting with your clients and helping them understand the differences in cruise lines. And Karen Todd, Senior VP of Sales and Service for Cruise.com, she says the true value of travel consultants is understanding all the brands and which clients belong on what product. Yep. And uh, one of our team members, Whitney, cruising is not a huge thing for her, but sometimes she gets them and she'll ask me like, what hotel? Is this like the Fairmont? Is this like, you know, and that's a great mm -hmm. way too, if you're yes. used to booking hotels. Uh, and Whitney Schindler from Masters in Travel uses the same exact strategy. She, she tries to draw a parallel to what hotel brand she would put the people in. And while it's unlikely the terms will disappear, according to this article, it's more useful that brands be defined by objective facts, like whether they have inclusive fares, are family-oriented and friendly toward multi-gen travel, or are adults only. Uh, the last quote here says, I think those sorts of definitions are probably more accurate than some sort of weird made-up three categories of cruise lines to try to continue to use them probably is doing your client a disservice. Agreed. Qualify, qualify, qualify. That's why we're here. <laughs> Are we ready for some excess baggage? Oh, yeah. All right. It's time for excess baggage, which is a speed round of headlines that are pretty self-explanatory, so you can learn a lot in just a couple of minutes. 
According to Travel Market Report, Carnival Luminosa officially transferred from Costa Cruises to Carnival Cruise Lines this week. The ship will debut for the line in Australia on November 6th. They also report that following its entry into the all-inclusive space with its acquisition of Apple Leisure Group, Hyatt on Thursday announced it was adding another five all-inclusive resorts to its portfolio. All five will be new beachfront Black Sea properties in Bulgaria in the cities of Sunny Beach and Obzor, two of the most popular cities for tourists in the region. An article from Recommend Magazine says that American Cruise Lines has announced its brand new National Parks and Legendary Rivers itinerary, the country's largest land cruise package, and the first ever adventure that will take your clients from the river to the Mountain States National Parks. Travel Weekly reports that Holland America Line, which serves at least 4,000 pounds of fish on each Alaska cruise, has earned a certification that the brand sources its fish from responsibly managed and sustainable fisheries. Another one from them says that Club Med has bid farewell to its all-inclusive resort in Port St. Lucie, Florida, with the brand announcing that it has ceased operations of the Club Med Sandpiper Bay. An article from Travel Agent Central says that United Airlines is threatening to end its service at New York's JFK Airport unless the FAA grants it permanent slots to operate from. Another one from them, and another one about Club Med, says that Club Med, the pioneer in the all-inclusive industry, is revitalizing its menu to offer a wider variety of plant-based meals. Eight properties in the Caribbean and Mexico were led under the direction of renowned vegan chef Chloe Coscarelli for more diverse, exciting, and locally sourced dishes when it comes to the plant-based options offered at these resorts. According to Travel Pulse, Intrepid Travel has added 10 new tours to its Intrepid Intrepid premium tour collection, offering six new trips to Europe and four new trips in the Americas with a focus on sustainability and premium accommodations and experiences. The new Intrepid premium trips in Europe mark the first in northern Spain, the Baltics, and the Balkans. The tour operator is also offering its first premium trip in the U.S. with a premium Alaska journey. And our high note today is also from Travel Pulse. Good news for travelers, gas prices in the United States dropped again. And that's it for Excess Baggage. Just a reminder that all the articles we've referenced today can be found in the show notes. Please remember that we didn't write the news. We're just sharing it. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and or share the show. Also, head on over to our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are both under the Tin Lounge. We'll link them in the show notes. Have any questions, comments, or just want to say hello? Please shoot us a DM or email us at hello at the tinlounge.com. We'll see you all next week. Bye.